weekly disturbing things the podcast i'm macy and i'm naomi and we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things and yeah buckle up let's get into it it's hot outside it's so hot and we have to be <laughs> sans air conditioner today because though our mic doesn't pick up the air conditioner my phone which i'm using to film for our teaser bits does pick it up teaser bits so we're suffering for you yes we're suffering for the big tease strip out of my sweater i know why are you wearing a sweater in black jeans it's 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 almost 100 degrees it's all a mistake (laughs) it's honestly a lot of my clothes because i leave on tuesday at like 5 a.m so a lot of my clothes have been packed for my trip oh the good clothes are yes i'm down to the bare minimals the seasonally appropriate clothes are packed (laughs) i'm because that looks like full on Fall winter wear. attire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like good November wear. Yeah, throw some boots on. You're mm-hmm. right in there. Yeah. Little scarf. Yeah. Little knitted hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I went hiking today and we stumbled across some huckleberries. You're like, you didn't get eaten by a bar. I know. I'm going to eat one. Yeah, they're real good. Mm. No, that's not a fucking huckleberry. That's a blackberry. I know that, but I like blackberry. Oh, okay. <laughs> It looks so good. Well, we packed a snack that was basically um, bear bait. We we packed mm. blackberries and fish to eat. What? What? <laughs> and no, and you should have it in an airtight container anyway. So. No, I had fish all over my mm-hmm. fingers. Blackberry juice just running down my face. Mm-hmm. And then and then we went to their little super good snack zone the huckleberry patch you're lucky you didn't get your face mauled off i know because those are delicious aren't they good mm-hmm. very good and there's a whole bunch that aren't ripe yet so mm-hmm. i think we'll go back in like a week and get some more but be more prepared yeah um because this that's why they're in with the blackberries that was the only container we had yeah. i want to go full on with like the hands-free double-handed take... picking i want like a container salmon? around my why did you take food fish with you because I, I why love... is that the snack of hiking it's not you know what i really like though is i like going to trader joe's getting the mini pita pockets mm. getting some fish getting something fish i need and like what kind of fish it could be a salmon today we had the rainbow trout okay like a smoked mm-hmm. and then you get something to put in there with it today we went with the spicy hummus Mm -hmm. and then it makes a nice little fish pocket that's exactly what the bear thinks he's like shoving you with huckleberries in your insides a nice little person pocket exactly (laughs) i'm making it easier for him aren't these good they were delicious help yourself they're for us okay um huckleberry picking is so like you know, it's not like other fruits where you can just grab a handful. It's so like, pick one an here, art. pick one here. You really have saw, to savor each berry. I saw a thing that bears eat around like 240 plus berries a day. I was asking Paul, like, how do they get them? It's, it's such a delicate have you process. Seen, it's kind of long tongues and they long. That's what you say. They just go, they like lap it lips, up. They, you know how like horse lips have like, like that? <laughs> Bear lips can do the same. I need that. <laughs> Bear lips. Oh, uh, I go first today. Okay, we have a ciders today on board. Yes, the highest alcohol content we could find at at the store, eight percent. Mm-hmm. Tis true. 
Don't look at my computer. Oh, I saw you do it. Okay. So this was a rabbit trail. This is how this happened. I told you earlier, I was watching Alone on Netflix where they, sorry, you had a fly that came at me. It's probably a black fly I brought from the forest. They were all over. Covering black it's, flies it's probably been stuck in my hair since the woods earlier. You did take your hat off. <laughs> I did. It probably just flew out. Um, <laughs> Watch out. So they like drop these participants in the middle of the wild and they have to survive. Whoever survives the longest basically gets half a million dollars, um, which is pretty significant. How do you think you do in that situation? Um, not great. These are like survivalist people too. And they're, you know, there's people dropping out like three days in because they didn't like put all their energy into shelter and then had no food for three days. Um, or, you know, in 12 days, there was like emotional breakdowns happening, 24 days, like just like true starvation happening. It's like weird though, that that's the entertainment level. <laughs> that's where you're going these days literally uh, watching people starve themselves what to death mean? for half a million dollars we should analyze that that's not really my topic <laughs> but anyway so I was watching that though and this is that like synchronicity thing like everything's connected mm. so I was really fascinated that like half the people who got off of the show uh or who like left chose to leave early it was emotional uh, randomly crying um family like i miss my family see that's where i would excel <laughs> like i don't have the skills to like make a fire or like a good weather um, resistant shelter or like catch any food but i have a strong fucking will to survive and i love being alone so that's where i would do well it, until i starve to death it is interesting though because like everyone says that initially like they'll be fine and it's temporary you know that it will end and you know you could leave if you wanted to which i think is part of the problem <laughs> versus like if you know you can't get out of it but how long are they there it's in whoever stays the longest like, so what is the longest the, the farthest i'm at right now episode wise is like winter has hit and they're at 24 days that's there. it mm -hmm. i could they're definitely be alone for 24 days but survival, starving, bears. No, that's you. where I would I would last as long as I could until the food. Most of them, the bears started like in the first couple of days of just like being uncomfortably. I also don't really like being cold. That so is a problem. I would prefer a summer drop. They're like right next to the this lake that's really windy too. Like anyways, anyway, it's not about that's not what I talk about. But so this emotional thing came up and then I saw this random article online that connected something for me so have you heard of prairie madness no what is prairie madness okay I'm gonna tell you or prairie fever uh but we'll I've, I've heard madness. of none of the prairie okay so this is an affliction not an actual or like disease or something like that. It's not in the DSM five. No, no. TR. No, um, that's it affected European settlers in the Great Plains during the migration and settlement of like the Canadian prairies, Western United States during the nineteenth mm, century. So that's interesting. Settlers moved from really urbanized areas on the east and would face mental breakdown caused by living in harsh conditions under extreme levels of isolation on the prairie. And this was like a thing that was called 
prairie madness and included depression, withdrawal, changes in character and habit, and even violence. This is what I experienced when I moved from California up to this area in the early 90s. I experienced that exact thing. I was depressed for two years straight. I was like, what the fuck is this place? Yeah, yeah. No, I think I had that. Like, there's one point when I I moved to a more isolated area and I was having panic attacks. Um, I lived in Medical Lake for a short period of time. And and that was really isolating and depressing in general. (laughs) Yeah, I don't do good with too much away from city. I mean, look where I live. Like, we can stumble and hit downtown from here. So think about this a little bit because it's okay. Like, there's that level. Like where I think most people have experienced something like that, but why is this a unique thing that happened? Because it it actually went away mostly like through the 20th century. Mm. So I do want to show you. Does it have something to do with wagons? Here's like here's a picture of like the prairie land. He's in. What front is, of, is that? Know. A crop circle? I have no idea what he's in. Front that's of. like a fucking crop circle. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> what are we? Maybe that's what the prairie madness was. Maybe. Um, there's actually been quite a few like old movies about prairie madness. Mm. Like I haven't watched them because they don't look great. <laughs> but but it's there. Here's like here's a picture of you know a family living on the prairie back in the days. I've mm. seen some other where it's like hut size, you know, and yeah. surrounded by literally effing nothing. I mean, as part of it just I know you're you're right into problem solving mode. I mean, so I'm you just want to learn more first. You know, I mean, I know it's a hard life, but can, yeah, I know you could can, some of it. Can I tell you more? Be that, you know, <laughs> like were they aware that they're on native land that wasn't their land? I that wasn't brought up, but maybe it's a factor. Seems it seems like no. Okay, stop looking at my don't. laptop. No, I'm looking at that picture. I know you can't. I'm just just stop. Now I feel like drawn to it. Uh, crop circles are a part of the story, so I'm like all in. I don't even. I it <laughs> that was, was a fucking crop. It circle. was time period correct. That's all I can say. Okay, so it's, why are we not talking about it's, it? No, we're gonna completely avoid it, like we normally do. It's, it's not a clinical condition, but it's been in many writings of both nonfiction and fiction where this prairie madness mm. comes up. Um. It was described by E.V. Smalley in 1893. Um, He stated, an alarming amount of insanity occurs in the new prairie states among farmers and their wives. Mm. So it's like, and I had never heard of this before. It's like this wave of quote unquote insanity throughout the prairies. No, I never heard of this either. Okay, so there is an old article that is that 1893 date. Um, Acknowledgedly, it was a tough life. Yeah. So I'm going to read to you from 1893. Acknowledgedly, is that a word? I don't, but it's close enough. <laughs> An article that talked about. I'm eating this. all the huckleberries. They need to be it's removed fine. from um, my reach. I just, I can't eat them while I'm okay. talking. I know, but I'm afraid I will eat them all while you're talking. And then when I talk, you will have none. I'll have no snacks. Can't you just close the top? Will you not respect the top? I do not have that kind of willpower when it comes to huckleberries. Okay, so you would die pretty fast because in <laughs> part of what they had to do is ration the food they did get and not just eat it all at once. <laughs> Day three. Okay, so <laughs> the title of this one um, under uh, that one photo I showed you is The Hardships the Women Endured in Those Prairie Homes Were Many and Often Exasperating and Seemingly Hopeless. Mm-hmm. Prairie madness among women was a form of insanity that ended in a macabre form of suicide. 
Oh, I know. I was like, wait, wow. what? <laughs> One of the prevalent means of self-destruction that these women did was to set fire to their hair and clothes and what? run down the road or across the prairie. Another form was to undress, run wild, carving the body with a knife until the woman bled to death. Usual forms again. Real I know, and again, this is this is an article from 1893. Such usual forms of suicide as hanging and poisoning or shooting oneself was never used in these instances. It's so much more. Like, it's, it's it's like in tune with exhibi- the prairie exhibitionism, is and the it way that involves they the prairie. It. It's like a, it's a expression almost. It's visual. It's a big statement. It's impactful. So it, according to this article, it said it seemed to be part of this mental breakdown. It was estimated that over 10% of women going to the prairie country to live in sod houses suffered from this mental madness. Even the horses seemed to be affected, many of them acting crazy and becoming sick. By the time the homesteaders and their wagons got well into Kansas and were, or, and were enveloped in the endless prairie, much of the excitement of the original trip had worn off. And in most cases, the curse of all wagon trains, dysentery, had hit them. And with this sickness mm. came the strange forbidding fear of the prairie. So here's like, once I got to this point, I like had this like ominous, the prairie is like ominous. Like now. it has a life of its own. Yes. So God, can you imagine just shitting yourself on the prairie? On the prairie. You can't hide behind anything. Everyone's gonna see your shame. Everybody's gonna see it. <laughs> I, I need to live within walking distance of a hospital. Me too. And I do. <laughs> I didn't. And you had to drive me all around to hospitals. Um, when they came to this land that was supposed to be their home, you know, they've been they were given plots of land through um part of the United States, like actually here you get um, a set amount of acres, but no support. You're out in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. So they're excited. And then they show up to this place that's going to be their home. And that elation goes away. It's a big disappointment, maybe, from what they were envisioning. So there's a letter from, again, this is old Miss Newcomb, describing her feelings when she and her husband got to the land assigned to them in southern Kansas. Flora Newcomb and Jim Newcomb, her husband, were a young married couple who had gone west to find their own land and establish a new home. She said, it's hard to describe my feelings of disappointment when I saw the land that was to be our home. Miss Newcomb wrote in a letter to her sister, I had a dr- I had dreamed of a beautiful stream with a tall oak tree mm. and beautiful bottom land stretching out with other groves of trees. And it's a big dry square. <laughs> well, we have a stream, all right, but it isn't beautiful. The water's so muddy and slimy. When you take a bucket of it, half of the bucket is filled with stinking silt. Sure, there are trees, a few small sickly looking cottonwood saplings. <laughs> There's nothing to build the log cabin I dreamed about. Stretching in every direction is the prairie. Again, that ominous. I can't describe the The feeling. Mm -hmm. I can't describe the feeling. Look at this vast expanse. Without a tree, without anything to break it, then there is the wind. (gasps) It never stops. I don't see how I could go into any town because my skirts are often above my head and there's no way to keep them down. Why am I talking about even going into town? The nearest town is... Uh, the nearest town and its only settlement is Wichita, and that's 30 miles from here. God, but I'm going to give anything to, wouldn't I give anything to be back in Ohio? Here's a, an article or a picture from, it was hell on horses and women. Here's the picture. 
of like this woman with this wheelbarrow full of what is what, that? I don't ground hard, <laughs> flat, dry ground. It's not even like dirt. <laughs> is that what that is? Or is it rocks? Or it could be rocks. It could be rocks. <laughs> it looks real heavy either way. Yes. And she looks hot as hell in that dress. She looks like she, like I made a mistake is what her face says. Well, I think, you know, the government really needed people to homestead these areas. Mm -hmm. And so they probably sold it as like you have the, the babbling the brook and yes. the beautiful oak tree and, and green grasses. And, and then you get out there and it's like, oh. Oh, I literally have nothing to build anything There's with. There's no shade. There's no clear water. This is where you start seeing my connections with alone, <laughs> just being dropped in the middle of fucking nowhere and you just have to figure it out. But they don't get half a million dollars at the end and they don't have an escape button. They're just there. Okay, so. I need an escape button. Is that a thing? The easy button. Prairie madness was caused by the isolation and tough living conditions on the prairie. The level of isolation depended on the topography and, ge and geography of the region. Most, most examples were reported in the Great Plains region of the U.S. One explanation for the high levels of isolation was that Homestead Act of 1862. This act stipulated that a person would be given 160 acres if they were able to live on it and make something out of it within five years. So they're like super like on a timeline too. Right. The farm the house. Yeah. We need to bust out some kidlets. The farms were half a mile apart, but usually much more than that. And it, you know, not everyone got there at the same time. Uh, it was a little settlement and community, um, but mostly very self-sufficient. I wonder if there was shady shit. Like if you got there before your neighbor and theirs was better, you just like start building on theirs and be like, just sorry when they the show up. Over. Yeah. I mean, I fucking do that probably. <laughs> just realized how much sweat was coming down my forehead. No, it's hot in here. Um, we have to suffer for the I'm, teaser bits. I'm suffering. Okay. <laughs> you are suffering. My hot pants. Are you I gonna, do have an under tank top. Are you going to get prairie madness? Should I, do you mind me stripping? I don't mind. Okay, it's happening. Sorry. Okay. Do it. Oh gosh. Heads it. Things are getting real. <laughs> All right. Remind me to get my shirt off my microphone cable later. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm not even that far into my topic. I'm stripping down. All right. Okay. So a lot of these families came from the East Coast. Okay. Uh, where they had more connection with people. Like there was towns. It was a thing. There was people. Um, so a lot of them came from a very different area. And then all of a sudden, nothing. This and like think true isolation here. So Nothing. it's very survival, right? It's very like we need a purpose. I mean, it kind of explains why it became the Bible Belt. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need some source of strength to get you through. And absolutely. And you're you're not in those urban areas where there's different culture. You have to create your own culture. And god damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you are gonna work hard and you are gonna till that and land. I've earned this freedom <laughs> to do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and after it's reading all this, together. after reading this, I'm like, okay, fair. It I makes a know. lot of sense. Um, so also a big thing was like medical care out there. Like you said, there were no hospitals, there were no doctors. So terrifying. It took a very long time for farms to get big enough and communities to get big enough. So most of the time when children get got sick, they died. Um a lot of trauma for parents happened and that was 
believed to impact the prairie madness. So you'd have a lot of parents who have, remember the infant tombstones we found? Yeah, a yeah. lot of scenarios like that. And um, I read a different article where I was talking about women during this time, like men weren't necessarily as involved <laughs> during this time period. It was really the woman's plight to deal with. Uh, if the man went into town, that could be days of being gone and she could be pregnant and having a baby on the dirt floor of her home yeah. in the middle of nowhere with no help. That's why you got to bust out a bunch of kids because you yes. need a team. It was quantity then not quality. You need a team, <laughs> assemble a team. Yes. That way when 75% of them died, you at least had some. And hopefully survive. get a bunch of girls in there that can help with like the girl stuff. Get mm -hmm. a bunch of guys in there that help with the guys stuff because things were very gendered back then. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you have your team. Yeah. Well, and that's what they, I, I was fascinated by, again, this is, I have this, old, <laughs> this is admitting something. I have an old book that says Western on the front. And I think I, I, took it in elementary school from the school library and never returned it it's like you stole a, something may say i probably put it in my bag and never returned it i i've checked out a lot of books in my time i bet you i had a book report or something it had like one of those squishy like leather front it was a fancy book that talked about the western times and i pulled it out and i was like reading about the prairie stuff and it was you I, still have it yes that is stolen property <laughs> I hope I hope the library police come I'm after gonna, you right after this goes live. They will. I won't tell them which school it was from or what town though. Okay, so another major cause was the harsh weather in this in the plains. So they had very long cold winters filled with blizzards, followed by short hot summers. Once winter came, it seemed like all life plants, animals disappear um, from the plains. Farmers would be stuck in their houses under snow for days at a time before they can even get out. So they're cramped. Um, few trees, so like no blocking of wind. The flat land of the prairie uh, created uh, this big just stretches of miles and miles and miles of openness. And many, many settlers and writings talk about the wind, as the other article said, that rushed through the prairie, it was loud, forceful, mm. and they said alien compared to what settlers had experienced. See? <laughs> they used the word alien. Many stayed very attached to their ways of life back east, so they would try to like adapt um, their life there, which um, doesn't work. So they felt that could contribute. It was interesting to hear. So would you say that it's a pretty, I don't know, it's weird to say this, but I think it's true that women plant flowers, that that's like a gendered norm thing that uh, people would assume nowadays. I mean, I would, I would say in general, yeah, yeah. probably. So it feels weird saying it in like this flowers, day and age. Like flowers, I think, in general are, are, are more like a feminine thing, like as far as a print yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so apparently that was a huge thing that the prairie women would do. So prairie flower, tons of wildflowers everywhere there, right? So one of the things that they would try to do is create, like, I want this sorts of colors here, like some control over the environment. So they would do right. a lot of planting flowers. And I that think, makes sense. yeah, and I feel like that's carried through culturally as women planting flowers is kind of like their thing. 
Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I hadn't that thought about that. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> Immigrant families were also more at risk for prairie madness, apparently. Again, like there aren't real stats around this. This is just like qualitative data over history so immigrant families though like if you think of the isolation everyone else dealt with they also had language barriers custom mm. barriers so there were more reports of families having this who um, were uh, an immigrant family like from ireland yeah from anywhere yeah but yeah that would have been prominent at the time um Immigrant families were also hard hit because they came from um, many came coming from communities in Europe where they had very close knit small villages. I mean, Irish speak English. I don't know why I said that. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I was just thinking of the times, like what was a big immigrant mm -hmm. group? Mm -hmm. Oh, probably Italian. Italian, maybe. At that yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would so, be a non-English. Small knit communities that are very used to relying on each other. All of a sudden, you're. That's a huge culture shock. So there is a lot of debate about this affecting women more than men. A lot of it has to do with culturally women being more isolated at the time. Mm. Um, Get to your red tent and you stay there. Uh, but it's interesting because the cases that were reported for women, it tended to be more social withdrawal and suicide. The big, um, big flashy displays of suicide and men were violence. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So symptoms, again, this isn't like an actual thing. It's probably a combination of things, but it was similar to depression. The women affected by prayer mm -hmm. madness were said to show symptoms of crying. I, this confused me. Maybe you can help me here. Slovenly dress. I hate oh, it. it's very judgy. Is it's that like not they're not really word? like caring about their appearance. Uh, when you live in the prairie like, and there's nobody there. Like... And do you have a washing machine? <laughs> okay. It sounded Is there a dry me. cleaner on the corner? I mean, what does good prairie dressing look like? I want to know the work that that entails to not be slovenly. I mean, I maybe they like don't do their hair and you know they probably had a lot of updos. But again, I think, at that time. well, but did you see in those pictures? Like they look fairly well put together so I don't, but know, I don't think people bathe very often anyway back then even in cities but if you think about depression that's the thing like maybe you let your hygiene go more unusual something like yeah that. so instead of know. bathing once a month you go two yeah maybe so it's said to that um it sounds with, withdraw from social interactions I'm like what ones <laughs> men also showed signs of depression often being violence it was not really, it's, I don't know, it's not very unique from other types of depression other than how it was expressed, which I think something about that, like, prairie oppressive feeling of isolation, something about being You're isolated, but yet it's so vast. Yeah. So like, I think you would feel very small. So it's doing something which big, is terrifying. It's doing something big is yeah, very it's like, expressive. see me. Yes very interesting i'm here i get a lot of anxiety when i go to montana my mom had big a panic attack country yeah my mom had a panic attack big. in hawaii she's like there's like nothing around and she would just like it took three days for her to stop but just calm down no i don't know how i do on an island i just don't know i just don't know. i like to stay home i like my house i don't, <laughs> I don't have this big need to travel i've give me in a lounge chair in the backyard good book i'm happy i don't need to go anywhere and I do want to say that prairie madness 
overall does not lead to suicide. His, like statistically, from what we know, it is depicted more in fictional stories, but there is some record of it. I've not seen it in any fictional story. Yeah, there's a lot. So in fiction, it's used. Um, so the madness is depicted in O Pioneers and My Antonia. Things I have I never have to, I've heard never of nor seen. Heard of these things either. The Wind, The Homesman, Giants of the Earth, and 1927 Chronicles. Oh, I've never heard of any of these. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know Whatever. about these frequent depictions in fiction that you refer to. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any of them. So, okay. So then the decline of prairie madness, this is, it basically went away in the 20th century when things like uh, communication, transport became easier, um, mm. more people. There was like the closing of the frontier described by kind of like more people coming in the pony express yes so that isolation that level of isolation reduced okay so interesting right so interesting i think it's all built on like high expectations that are just fucking dashed but i have another level oh let's go okay so within this as i'm searching for kind of like offshoots things like that i found an article that was really interesting it's really hot in here. Hey, I'm dripping. I may have to go get the ice packs for us to sit on. Do you want to pause and do it now before I? Do you want me to? Sure. Okay. You talk. Okay, I'm gonna talk, but I can't like dive I'm into not this looking. yet. I'm, not I'm very hot. Talk about I'm sweaty. Something. Talk about your cat. Okay, Nugget <laughs> fell into the fish tank yesterday, and she's cute, and she looked like a drowned rat, and she looked embarrassed. I thought she fell in the toilet because I didn't see her fall into the fish tank. Um, it's a 75 gallon fish tank, by the way. So <laughs> falling in there is a rather scary ordeal with very large fish. So she did survive. Oh my God. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm dripping to my arm. This is it's highly really unusual. Oh, I'm going to sit on that. I want to sit on mine. My jeans. You hear that crackle? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Ooh, this, I don't think I can do this and read at the same time. It's a little chill. I'll put it on my lap. Okay. I like it. Are you ready? Yes. Is the silence of the Great Plains to blame for prairie madness? Oh, the silence. We've talked about sound. Remember, you've had topics about sound having impact. So this is about silence. And this ties in the wind that is referenced (gasps) by almost every piece I've read. The wind is low tone and it ties into the low tones that create anxiety and feelings of doom get ready so here's another picture if you want another like like that poor lady i don't know <laughs> i mean it doesn't seem like a lot of fun Mm-mm. to be honest i mean you know they built a house so that's cool i couldn't do that mm-hmm. okay so <laughs> i had to build a house myself <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't go so it'd well. be real small and real unstable yes okay here we go let me see where I can dive in. Okay, so both in both fictional and nonfiction accounts of prairie madness, they talk about the wind. So it's been brought up throughout. Uh, one writing said that during winter, the silence of death rests on the vast landscape. And a character in Manitoba settler Nellie McClung's story said, the neutral fuse writes a poem about the droning soundtrack of the plains. 
I hate the wind with its evil spite, and it hates me with a hate as deep and hisses and jeers when I try to sleep. It's interesting there's such a negative relationship to the wind. Isn't it? Just to, to take it back to like speaking of uh -huh. Native Americans, you know, there's a belief that I've read about that the wind is spirits. Well, yeah. And so there's a like positive a, relationship or a to the wind. Cooling, calming. Like I don't view wind as like a negative thing. So okay. So it does rattle me. So it this, makes wind wind makes me irritable. Rattable. Okay, yeah. now my that's, that's a little chilly okay, yeah. okay so in a paper by Velez published in historical archaeology suggests this eerie soundscape the silence comboed with the howling wind could have contributed to mental illness in settlers yes so it's not much of a leap I mean we have so much research out now that talks about how what we hear impacts how we sleep or don't sleep, stress, mental health problems, even cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes. Our nervous system. Yes. Even at a subconscious level. Mm -hmm. So Velez, this researcher wanted to understand if there's anything special about the soundscape of the prairie. What does um, it sound like? So he can't go back in time, obviously, but he did go and gather recordings Not of the obviously. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> sort of obviously. Um so he recorded got recordings from Nebraska and Kansas, which captured noises like the wind and the rain, and then mm. got got recordings of urban areas from like Barcelona, Mexico City, with weather sounds as well and pedestrians. He ran the recordings into a program that created a visual representative of the spectrum of sound frequencies. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And compared each other kind of in a mapping of what the sound frequencies would be for the human ear. Like what could the human ear pick up? What would it sound like? So he found that while all the landscapes contained plenty of sounds that humans would naturally be able to hear, the sounds of the cities were more diverse, spreading across more ranges of human hearing and formed more, it came together more like a white noise. Mm. But on the prairie, little the prairie. to none, no mm -hmm. white noise background at all. Um, what sounds there were coincided with a particularly sensitive part of human hearing range that the brain notices very readily. So it doesn't go into white noise category in our brain, it goes into alert which may explain kind of the panic and dread and fear. And I don't like that versus, oh, soothing. Okay. So yeah, I don't think the silence of being out there would be would, soothing. Would be no. soothing. So the way I can describe it is it's very quiet until suddenly the noise that you do hear, you can't hear anything but that. So one can imagine a newly arrived settler used to the sounds of more urban, small town, white, noisy, you know, everything, everything at this point now from a chicken clucking to a frog croaking to a drip of water becomes dreadfully distinct and aggravating like the Sounds drop like of the torture. Pen. Yes. So um, a separate research study, uh, a brain scientist at the University of Washington, um, Adrian Casey Lee, said he wasn't involved in this study, but it's just kind of a similar one, said that the Great Plains soundscape is reminiscent of being in an, an, uh, an echoic chamber. So it's a room designed to stop echoes. Mm -hmm. So you're going in there and there's literally no reverberation back. Oh, I've been in a 
a music room like that. And oh I yeah. Did not like it. And I had to get right out. So that's what it's like. And I think <laughs> where your voice I'm... goes nowhere. Yes. It's uncomfortable. Yes. And I didn't fully understand it until I read this article where it's, it made sense to me in that way of, oh yeah, no, I don't like that either. It's kind of like when you put on noise canceling headphones, I have to have one ear off. I have to be able to mm-hmm. hear my own you need, voice. You need to hear it. Yeah. Um, so now it's starting to make sense to me. Like, yeah, that would drive me crazy. And keep in mind too, that this deprivation that they're experiencing in their senses, um, even the smallest sound, rustle of clothes, your own heartbeat. You'd be hyper aware of every little you thing. Can't, you couldn't ignore it. So he pointed out the human brain will naturally adapt to this environment, um, essentially turning up or turning down the volume to better distinguish what's going on. But it's that transition point that is probably why it eventually went away. Well, you know, you get used to your own sounds, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm used to all these sounds. So when I yes. sleep somewhere else, you know, there's new sounds that keep me up at night and I just need my own sounds like mm-hmm. like the train. People that don't live right next to a train, they come here and they're like, oh, how do you stand that? And I'm like, what? Like, I don't even notice it. And then when you, everything is absolute nothing noise and all of a sudden there's, you know, a train, (laughs) it's different. So he said that it's about being adaptive for survival. And if you adapt Mm -hmm. to a very low sound environment and all of a sudden there's a loud sound coming in, of course, your brain's going to be alerted to that. Yeah. So a research historian, Abraham Lincoln, sorry, no, that's wrong, <laughs> Jacob Friedfield, a research historian at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library, um, he wrote- I thought ex- Abe was a part of this research I study. I was excited. He, he wrote extensively on the Homestead Act. Um, he says he's not come across the phenomenon of prairie madness in his own work, but notes that modern recordings used may have missed some sounds as well that could have impacted them such as the howl of wolves yeah across that nothingness the rumblings of herds of bison right mm-hmm. low tones there's been a lot of studies that those are felt as threatening and ominous and mm-hmm. give you a sense of disease yes and they said so most of these people lived in uh sod houses or dugouts that are what does sod houses mean out of dirt it's just made a house out of, made dirt. out of dirt. Um, or like dug out, like dug into the dirt and then covered over the top with like wood, but like um into the ground. So they were saying too, like even hearing insects crawling in your walls, sort of stuff. No, thank you. Um, nope. So <laughs> this study. Oh, is that a sod house? Yeah, right there. Yeah. So that, that would be a good example. Kind of a dugout too, because it looks like it's partially underground, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just first house in Nebraska, 1880, built from the ingenuity Nebraska brick. is impressive. Still in a suit as well. I, like to say. I mean, I I just think that's cool. Like, work with what you mm-hmm, have. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of inconsistencies about records, gender roles at the time, prejudice against certain groups. There's a lot of things that could have impacted a lot of. But can you imagine coming from a city and then going to that? And now you're living in a dirt clod in a a dirt hill. No, (laughs) I can't. So it makes sense why some of these things may happen. Like if that's not what you're expecting. I think expectations come into play in this, and then in a top, big way. top on okay then the husband goes for days your children are dying um and you don't get ceremony around them dying they're just dead and you're burying your own kid in your yard um 
freezing crops, monetary ruin, you know, not making enough money, trying to meet deadlines. Uh, there's, this isn't, this is high stress. Um, so we can't really prove anything for any of this, but um, the silence and the hateful wind may have affected the settlers' minds. Do you have that disturbed song going through your mind? I don't. Oh, I do. The song? sound of silence. Oh, no, I do. I do. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> I thought we should both have that. Thanks. That is so Thank interesting. God. Now when I, I watch shows about the prairie, I'm going to see if they reference prairie, prairie madness or prairie fever. Prairie fever. Mm-hmm. This ice pack is working. I, I actually am not sweating anymore. Yeah, no, it did stop my head from sweating. Yeah. It's cool. You have to keep rotating it though. I know I had it on my lap. It makes you numb. The good thing about having a nice up here is that it's just a shelf. I'm just going to put it on my head. Well, it's your turn now. Cool my brains. Okay. Here is uh, my lead in. Oh, that's not it. Never mind. What? Okay. This is my lead in. You know this song, right? Yeah. Ring a farm. It's a burning thing. <laughs> and it makes a fiery ring. Okay, that's 19 seconds. Better stop. I'm going to talk to you not about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I'm going to talk to you about? I don't Tapeworms? What? Tapeworms? Oh, ring a fire. I don't know. <laughs> No, I'm going to talk to you about the ring of fire that we live on. Oh. Ready? Yes. The ring of fire. I like that you had a musical intro to coincide. I know. because I, I, lo- I love Johnny Cash. Played some howling winds. Or, or some howling winds. Or silence. Yes, you should have played some Disturbed. Oh, my God. And I literally chose this talk, I think maybe two, because I'm going to Iowa in two days. Is that the prairie? I'm, oh, I, yeah. My f- friend that lives out there, she had to move there for a job. Um, it is prairie. Do you still and it hear the wind? wind? There was such a strong windstorm in the middle of the night while I was there that I like I, I felt it shaking the house and it scared me. I did not like it. You should go outside on no. the prairie. They have tornadoes too. And listen to the wind and see if you feel that feeling of doom and gloom. It's interesting because she does like take on this, like, I'm, you know, I have chickens. I'm doing all these prairie, like, homesteady things. But then on occasion, that depression straight up comes out of, I am isolated in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Mm-mm. It's not my lifestyle. That's okay. No. Um, the ring of fire is a path along the Pacific ocean characterized by active volcanoes and frequent earthquakes. Mm. It's about 25,000 miles long. So it goes all around the Pacific ocean. So it goes along the Western part of our state, Washington, learning about this in history class, goes up, comes down. And then if you... So it's sort of a horseshoe shape of active volcanoes, but if you include um, inactive volcanoes, it does make a ring. 75% of the Earth's volcanoes, 452 volcanoes, are located along the Ring of Fire. Dang. Some call it the Ring of Disaster. 90% of the Earth's 
earthquakes occur along the ring of fire, mm. including the planet's most violent and dramatic seismic events. The reason we have all these volcanoes and earthquakes along the ring of fire is because the amount of movement of tectonic plates in the area. So tectonic plates, I was surprised that this was just sort of discovered in 1960s. I was gonna say, I remember learning about it. Before that, they weren't really sure like what makes a volcano, mm -hmm. what causes earthquakes. Shifting of things. So then they discovered, oh, it's tectonic plates. So along much of this ring of fire, so imagine all around the Pacific Ocean, that the plates overlap at convergent boundaries called subduction zones. So often there's a plate that is heavier that gets pushed down or subducted by the plate above. And then as the rock is subducted and goes down, it melts and becomes magma. Why did you say that like a horse though? Because I my name is Naomi. Nay. The abundance of magma so near to Earth's surface gives rise okay with any what just happened. to conditions. Just eat your huckleberries. I'm eating them. They're delicious. And uh, this makes volcanic activity. A significant exception is the border between the Pacific and North American plates. So here, instead of just being subduction zones where the one plate goes under the other, here the plates move sideways like this. Mm -hmm. And so this is why there's so many earthquakes. Um, San Andreas Fault, that's what's going on along there, where it's like pressure builds up and then it just jumps. Then there's a major earthquake that happens. So future topic, I want to talk about the biggest um, earthquake that happened that I went through in 1989, the Loma Prieta quake. So what's a volcano? Tell me. It's an opening in the surface of a planet. Have you been to a volcano? Yeah, I've been to Mount St. Helens. I've been to three. I'll share about it. Oh, good. Um, I've been to some smaller ones, but that was like, I camped on it. That was like an experience. Ooh. So this opening allows hot material to escape from an area of magma storage below the surface. This is called a magma chamber. So the magma is down there, and then the volcano is an opening that allows the magma to escape. And when it erupts, or where it erupts from, that is a volcanic vent. So when the magma breaches the surface of the Earth's crust, the volcano erupts, and the erupted magma is referred to as lava hot lava did you ever play that back in school heck yeah 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 where it's like oh that's all hot lava you can't step there and you have to like jump around and it's all awkward I mean, you don't say hot lava you just say lava but well and then it's like if somebody falls into lava i felt like the consequences weren't realistic enough like their legs should have been completely charred at that point there's also a really stupid netflix show called don't fall in the lava that is a remake of that basically oh. they fall in like a fake lava see i don't want fake lava it's made to look hot but you know it's not hot i, I want real experiences you want real consequences that's right oh, or people don't learn people don't learn to not go on game shows <laughs> like alone in the wilderness where you get eaten by bears 
So over time, the erupted material pile up to form the tall, broad slopes of what we think of our mind as a volcano. So that classic volcano shape. So it comes up and then it just like keeps building up. The magma or lava is itself a combination of molten rock, crystals, and gases. And it is this composition that influences the style of eruption and type of volcano. Eruptions can be explosive, sending hot mixtures of ash, gas, and rock high into the sky, or they can be calmer and spurt out steam or send minor amounts of lava down the slope. So this magma is formed in the mantle of our planet, the Earth. And this is the layer of the Earth just below the crust. So our Earth has three main layers. <coughs> I don't we know have I'm allowed to teach this anymore. <laughs> the magma or the mantle is made up of solid rock that is very hot and it moves very slowly. The rock in the mantle cycles up and down in a circular motion called convection. And this is similar to the way a pot of boiling water heats up on your stove. So it's cycling up and down. And this process also regularly occurs in the Earth's atmospheres and oceans. So the Earth is like an egg. The egg white inside is like the mantle and the egg yolk is the core. Obviously the middle is the best though what the egg yolk. white the yolk no that's the core that's the very inside i said the middle is the best yeah oh, okay yeah. do you ever just eat egg whites or do you no. need that yellow in there no i'll avoid the egg whites and if it's gooey it's all over and all well you can make um yellow rice it's just made with yolk and you mix it with your rice and it's mm -hmm. real good i like that i like i'll eat egg white bites because they mostly taste like cheese um <laughs> i don't know if i would say that egg white has any flavors for me. <laughs> I think there's flavors in the yolk. The yes. So we have the shell of the egg, like the earth's crust, which is broken into pieces, like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. And these pieces of crust, along with a small portion of the mantle below them are relatively rigid and brittle. And these are referred to as the tectonic plates. So they're moving around on top. The tectonic plates float on the hot mantle beneath. So kind of cool, like we think of the earth as being very stable and solid, but it's all moving all the time. Kind of nuts. Kind of scary, kind of ominous. We both had nature topics. Nature. Well, I was in nature today too. Oh. We're eating nature. Nature is ominous. <laughs> Nature's fucking scary. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that keeps me up at night is the nature. ring of fire. Oh, I was like, is nature. <laughs> well, space, volcanoes, earthquakes, it Homeless all keeps me up at night. in your walkway. <laughs> Once um, the mantle rock melts, the magma has to move through the mantle and through the crust to erupt at a volcano. So there's three different ways the magma can come up to the surface. Through the subduction zone. So talk about the plates come together, one's pushed up under another. And so with in this area, there's high temperature, lots of pressures, and the magma is created, and then the magma can rise to the surface and, and form a volcano. So most of our volcanoes in Washington were built like this in that way, through subduction zones. There's also mid-ocean ridges. 
This is when tectonic plates move in opposite directions away from each other and an opening forms in between where the divergent plate boundaries are. Ooh, is this, could this be related? I saw a random thing that um, like the bottom of someone's swimming pool, I forget where this was, like a sinkhole opened and mm -hmm. like people got sucked into the sinkhole under the swimming pool. Well, I don't think that has anything to do with this, but that's really interesting. Well, could that be plate shifting or something? Like if it was fine before? I don't know. Sinkholes are a whole different topic. Sinkholes are a whole different thing. Okay. I think that's more to the closer to the surface than a, okay. Okay. a mid-ocean ridge. Fair. There's also hot spots. This is the third way that volcanoes can form. So this is uh, inside the earth, a hot spot. Scientists are still trying to figure out why hot spots happen. But the basic idea is that a portion of molten lava magma rises and pushes its way through the middle of a tectonic plate to reach the surface. So Yellowstone and the Hawaiian Islands are two famous examples of hot spot volcanoes. Are all volcanoes alike? Nope. No. Nope, they're not. So we have that <laughs> like cone-shaped image, like the classic volcano image, but they have other, other types. Um, and we can find many different types here in our state in Washington. So the shape, size, and lifespan of a volcano, it depends on its location. So is it under the ocean? Is it a hot spot? What's going on? What's the chemistry and composition of the magma that erupts from it? And in particular, the amount of water and other gases and the amount of silicon dioxide mm -hmm. greatly influence the type of magma and the type of eruption. So generally magmas that have more silicone will be stickier, like thicker, more viscous, and they're gonna do that like slow lava flow. That was like and, one in Hawaii. And those are gonna erupt explosively. Mm -hmm. And magma is also influenced by its location. Magmas that push through continental versus oceanic crust will mix in with different types of rocks on their journey to the surface. So it really depends whether the volcano erupts explosively or non-explosively, um, depending on the chemistry of the magma. And the style of eruption also affects the overall shape of the volcano. There's also lots of different type of lava. I never knew there's how many. <laughs> One, two, three, four different types of lava. And basalt, andesite, dacite, and rhyolite. And they um, are vary in how hot they are. So basalt, like 1250 degrees Celsius. How hot is that in Fahrenheit? Mm. Will you look it up? Because I want to know how hot that is. So again? What am I 1250 at? degrees Celsius. 1250, you mean like 1250? 1250, yeah. So that's like the hottest Celsius one. in Fahrenheit. Is that what I'm looking at? Yeah. What is 1250 Celsius in Fahrenheit? Basalt is a very primitive magma. It's produced by the melting of rock in the mantle. So that's like the hottest and oldest one. Does it say how much Fahrenheit? I'm struggling to get the internet. Oh my God. 
We'll come back to that. It's hot. I'm not getting. You don't want to touch the lava. It's hot. Hot lava. Oh, um, I almost died because of that. <laughs> so what's 1250 degrees Celsius? I can't. Your internet can't. hates me. I can't. Okay. I just can't. Well, people that um, didn't have U.S. schooling know exactly what we're talking about. We don't because we're here. Sorry. So there's different types of lava, four types. I didn't know that. It, ha- it varies in color. It varies in temperature. But, I mean, they're all hot. None of them you're going to want to jump into and swim around in. So Washington, our state where we live, has five volcanoes that are listed as high or very high threat potential. Mm-hmm. Mount Baker, mm-hmm. Glacier Peak, Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens, and Mount Adams. These volcanoes are all part of the Cascade Ridge, which is a 1,200-mile line of volcanoes that goes from British Columbia to Northern California. Many volcanoes in Washington are active and have had recent eruptions. Volcanoes do not erupt at regular intervals, so it's difficult to know when or where the next eruption will happen. So it's very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So we need to be prepared. And they do a lot of um, like readings and stuff, but that doesn't make me feel good because when Spokane had that last, um, what was it for? The little mini tornadoes that dropped down. Like Nobody knew that was coming. Well, they, they saw them on the readings and they just thought they weren't a big deal, even oh. though it like flipped people's trailers. But so and like, boats, yeah. I'm more worried about people telling me than I am about, like, I'm sure someone somewhere will see it. It's just, will I be told in time that I'm worried about? We need an in at the U.S. Geological Survey so they can text us first. Yes. How Trust do we no do one, question everything. I don't know. If you work for the USGS, DM us. We'll give you a tote bag. <laughs> Totes. The goat. Many hazards come with living near volcanoes. Volcanic eruptions can send ash and volcanic debris into the air. Heat from volcano can melt snow and ice and cause dangerous mud flows or debris flows called lahars. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but L-A-H-A-R-S. I'm going to call it lahars. It's very dangerous. That's when everything's like caught up in this big flow. It's like taking everything with it. Oh, almost like a mudslide, but lava and stuff. Stuff, yeah. Molten rock can erupt and flow downhill destroying everything in its past like it just incinerates everything it just burns it all up volcanoes are also beautiful mountains that people Mm -hmm. can visit each year for recreation volcanoes are the most visual result of plate tectonics and are one of the few places on earth where molten rock can reach the surface there are even old volcanoes on other planets, such as Venus and Mars. Who knew? <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay. Slight connection. What? At the end of my research. Are there volcanoes in the prairie? No, but what I read was that like. So no, there aren't because the, it's a prairie. The density of air also impacts how sound hits you. So if you were on Mars, that prairie impact would it would be very similar to that so on mars would we have another like if we colonize mars would we have another prairie madness full of volcanoes well i think if we colonize mars especially if it goes along with anything like that mars one plan there's going to be a lot of mars madness a lot of mars madness yeah there's going to be murder 
there's gonna be violence giant shows of drama suicide. a lot of drama mm-hmm. yep who's at risk of volcanoes well i focus my research on our state because i'm just looking out for number one we know <laughs> Residents throughout the state of Washington are at risk of volcanic hazards. That's us. Look into your own state's guidelines for what you need in your go bag. There are active volcanoes in Washington and the rest of the Pacific Northwest. These volcanoes tend to erupt explosively and can cause significant damage both near and far. High speed flows of hot ash and rock, lava flows and landslides can destroy homes and infrastructure within 10 miles of the eruption. Enormous mud flows of ash, debris, and melted ice, the Lehars, can devastate low-lying areas more than 50 miles away. And when Mount St. Helens erupted, that was, the ash went all the way to California. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, even on this side of the state, it coated everything and kids had to miss school. Two of the mountains I went to exploded the year after I went there. One was the Kona Island volcano, and the other one was in uh, when I went to, um, uh, it was in Italy, one of theirs, one of theirs things. So a big one recent in recent times, 2018, um, I can't remember the name of the volcano, but Papua New Guinea, mm. they had to evacuate everybody. Mm-hmm. And it continued to go off for more than a month. And I think as of last year, it was still doing business. I have to say one that was really interesting on the, when I went to Santorini, one of the Greek islands, cause there it's an island and like the town is built on like the edge of what was an old volcano. So in the center where all the water is, mm-hmm. that was where the volcano had erupted at one point and then it got filled by the Mediterranean mm-hmm. Sea. So it's like the town is built on the outskirts of yeah, that, which yeah. is so interesting and Definitely. scary when you think about it. Yeah. So just remember 75% of the world's volcanoes are Here. in the ring of fire. Here. Yeah. Yeah. So great. we are in the shit. So I basically was like the prairie sucks and you were like yeah but here sucks too so fair everywhere sucks sucks for a reason i mean what i've liked we love our pacific northwest about being in the inland empire whatever they bullshit they call our area is no but we're like inland no so don't have quite the risk of earthquakes Mm -hmm. volcanoes tsunami we're well, we're several hundred miles away. A little bit. <laughs> um, and then not supposed to have like the tornado risk. We don't have hurricane risk. So that gave me some peace. I mean, after growing up in California and being completely traumatized by the low McPriotic quake, I've liked that. Um, do I feel safe? No. I mean, the fires are now like my new fear. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, how does this affect me? again (laughs) um so there's an amazing website for washingtonians and you can actually look at maps i'm going to show you one of each of our five active volcanoes and it shows you if you're in harm's way so in the zone so here's for glacier peak if this goes off it shows actually where the lava is going to flow oh handy and i'm like oh cool it goes west (laughs) 
I'm good. We're good. We're good. Because we're east. But look yeah. at that. Like it shows yeah. exactly the rivers it's going to flood and Which, as it goes towards the city. I mean, kudos to those topography experts. Look at you. Maps. Okay. Yeah, but it's not, it's cool. Yes. So this area around the mountain, like you definitely don't want to be there. That's going to be heavily impacted. That's where there's going to be a lot of law flows, a lot of uh, the lehars, ballistic ejects and rock falls you want to be clear of the mountain area but if you live there you might not have a lot of time yeah you don't have a lot of time to evacuate you may be stubborn and roads get clogged or roads get blocked that's right so i mean be prepared yeah so anybody living around there and this website is really cool like it gives you evacuation routes Mm -hmm. it gives you preparedness information like what specifically you need to have Mm -hmm. prepared on hand um you can sign up to get alerts. You can do everything. So I would say anybody that lives near any of the R5 volcanoes, sign up on that do website. It. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, if you live in the prairies, I have nothing to help you. I'm sorry. Mount Adams, I looked up too. So this one goes more south. Yeah, yeah. And slightly southeast, mm-hmm. but nothing is coming east. Yeah. So but, Mount but Adams. But smoke and ash, you could imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, but hood river i've gone there for lunch lots of times like mm-hmm. they're they're yeah, they're yeah. getting the flows mm-hmm. going to hood river so like two hours away something like that i don't know mm. i don't know three and a half three and a half way off okay <laughs> so you get the area around the mountain the most impacted you get you know the the bit you're in the shit but then the lava flows with all the stuff like it's not just lava it's trees it's all kinds of stuff houses unfortunately all flowing down Um, and along with this ring of fire volcanic danger there's risk of tsunamis earthquakes we've talked about and dangerous gases Mm -hmm. by far the most abundant volcanic gas is water vapor which is harmless, but significant amounts of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, hydrogen hydrogen sulfide, and hydrogen halides can also be emitted from volcanoes. And depending on their concentrations, these could be potentially hazardous to people, animals, agriculture, and properties. So Mount St. Helens, Mm -hmm. I didn't live here yet. But I've heard a lot of tales. I've heard of tales as well. So I was 10. My ex-husband was 10. He lived on this side of the state. And he told me that. My dad loved Davis. All, like, everything got coated with ash and he didn't have to go to school. And he said the wheat crops, because he grew up in a wheat farm, Mm -hmm. the next year were the best fucking wheat crops ever. Can I call my dad real quick and see what he experienced? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's see if he answers this phone. So while you're dialing, I'll give a little history. Okay. On March 27th, 1980, a series of volcanic explosions and pyroclastic flows began at Mount St. Helens. A series of phreatic blasts. Hello? Is he there? No, it's weird. He wasn't there. Keep going. So these blasts occurred from the summit and escalated until... A major eruption took place on May 18th. So there was stuff happening for a couple months. So on the morning. 
Hello. You called me. I did. You're on the podcast. You're on the podcast before you say something insulting to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Hello. Can I help you? <laughs> tell us we're talking about the ring of fire and we've moved on to mont st helens can you tell us about your personal experience of when mont st helens exploded in 1980 oh i was on top of the mountain that day <laughs> a liar uh, and windy. <laughs> um no i was in snohomish north of seattle so the news, and I, and, you know, it didn't affect Western Washington because the wind was usually, as usual, was going toward the northeast. But I did have, I had a, was going hunting in Eastern Washington the next week and drove over there, and it was, it looked like in places like it, Moses Lake area, like there was, you know, two feet of snow. In places where they had to plow the roads through towns and had berms of ash and cars all over that had been toasted the engine from all the sand or the fine, fine grit from the ash had ruined their cars, mm -hmm. motors. But I mean, it never. You you attacked. weren't attacked personally. <laughs> By the I was not attacked personally. No, that's good. I, uh, I'm that was helpful. Okay. Are you worried yeah. about the next um, volcanic explosion in our state? Uh, am I or was I? Are you now uh, currently concerned about the threat of the next volcanic explosion? The imminent threat. No. <laughs> At the moment, I say let her rip. <laughs> well, thank you, Father, so much. I will talk to you later. Okay. Well, and that would probably be Rainier or Baker, but. Oh, we just looked at the Mount Baker lava flow map prediction. Luckily, it's not coming east. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because either way, it's either central, northern, or excuse me, central and eastern Washington. Yeah, they're all fucked. Or, or, <laughs> Canada, or Canada, so there you go. Sorry to say all y'all. Yeah. All right, thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> That's what I heard that it was like snow everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's May, so. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So this eruption is considered the most disastrous volcanic eruption in U.S. history. And... It was dormant from the 1840s or 50s until 1980s. So, you know, I think we get very complacent. And I think when you, it just is like a mountain and you don't really think about it. But when you're living in those areas and when you're driving by those volcanoes, mm -hmm. you need to remember this is an active volcano. It's not going to yeah. give us a big warning. Like it could go off at any moment. Well, when you go to like Kona Island in Hawaii, it's so, I mean, you just see lava fields everywhere. So it's like in your face that this happens. Um, and it was interesting because the, they used to do like where you could walk near the edge or whatever. And mm -hmm. when I went there, they, we had to go like way back. 
because it was supposedly very active and you could see it bubbling and stuff and then it, it exploded that the next year yeah oh it's, it's scary I was worried while I was there it's like what how do they make that time how do they know what nature's gonna do well they don't they don't I mean they make the press predictions based on history and looking at patterns but you don't know for sure no I went camping on Mount St. Helens um, when I very first came to up to this area. So it was only about 10 years after the explosion. And it was creepy AF. I felt like the ground was hollow. Like I didn't sleep the whole night. It, it just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. And at that time, you know, things were still growing back. I mean, even 10 years later, it, I mean, now like it, nature has returned pretty much but there was still like sparse areas Mm -hmm. and you could just see like the scarring Mm -hmm. of the land and it just felt too quiet and quiet I didn't like it I didn't like it at all yeah so there was a gradual build-up to Mount St. Helens there were earthquakes swarms there ended up being 174 shocks four shocks of magnitude 2.6 or greater in the last two days before um it exploded but you know 57 people were killed i just when mount st Helens exploded i forgot that yeah i remember like hearing a story about like there was one like man that lived on Mount St. Helens and he specifically like refused to leave. No, he's the classic guy that's in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't, and I don't even know if that's true not, or not. Maybe no, it's true. It is true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He refused to leave and he passed away. Yeah. But I just remember being you know, that was kind of like told to me growing up as like the classic, like you may think that you know better, but you don't. But you know, respecting autonomy, like that's his land you know and I he knew that it was gonna happen I'm glad I do feel like now they would like forcibly remove him but I, I feel like that's have, his yeah. choice like that's his domain let him do what he wants to do he's an old mm-hmm. guy yeah and I'm sure they had plenty of people they were trying who willingly wanted to evacuate so he probably I mean putting other people at risk to try to save him when he's doesn't want to no let him do what he wants to do yeah, yeah we watched that documentary when I in my geology class in college which weirdly I was two weeks into my geology class in college when I was in the 1989 Loma Prieta quake too close to rocks and we were learning about earthquakes I shit you not (laughs) when we came back we're like you know to the professor like did you cause this like it's a homework assignment was this like (laughs) a serious field work experiment but I should say if I'm like downtown and then someone who has a <laughs> mental health condition of some kind is harassing me, I'd be like, teacher, did you send him after me? <laughs> so you can work on your skills, right? Mm-hmm. That actually happened while I was working when you were my supervisor. So, oh, was that when I got jumped? <laughs> uh, it was around that time period, oh, okay. but I was just downtown. It was when I went walk to the burrito shop with the receptionist folks. Ah, uh, got it. Yeah. So I forgot that 57 people were killed. So even with warning, like, okay, something's happening. You should evacuate still. Like this shows how it's unpredictable. So an innkeeper was killed. A World War One vet was killed. Mm-hmm. Two photographers were killed and a geologist was killed. 
Hundreds of square miles were reduced to wasteland and caused over a billion dollars in damage for that time, which mm-hmm. is like a obviously lot. more now. Thousands of animals were killed and Mount St. Helens was left with a crater on its north side. So it blew out like to the side. So it's mm-hmm. sort of like has like a flat area on the side. And at the time of the eruption, the top of the volcano was owned by Burlington Northern Railroad, which I thought was interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So after this, they donated the land to the U.S. Forest Service. They're probably like, eh, you can have it. Yeah, that's <laughs> we don't really need it now. It's broken. <laughs> yeah, it's broken. Here you go. Um, they're probably like, I don't want that to happen again and own it. <laughs> right, right, right. Liability issues. So you, I drive to California all the time, and we go on Highway 97 through the center of Oregon, and we go by Crater Lake, which is a huge, huge, huge yeah, lake. There. And this lake in Oregon was created when Mount Mazuma blew. Mm. So the explosion like blew all the mountain volcano material out and all that was left was this hole. And this force was 50 times as big as Mount St. Helens in 1980. So this could happen. I mean, we would be impacted on our state. Mm -hmm. If there was an eruption of that force where the whole mountain was just gone Mm -hmm. and it's a crater. I mean, the devastation is, it's crazy. So the U.S. Geological Survey, they monitor temperature changes. They monitor earthquakes. They monitor gas bursts, which is like when your volcano is farting, I think. Mm -hmm. And so they compare these signs, these stats with like the historical record. And if something seems off, if something seems to be increasing, you know, they'll, they'll start to look at it, but it's not an exact science and earthquakes absolutely cannot be predicted. That's what part of why I'm so terrified of them after my traumatic experience is you just don't know, like you're, you're in it and you, you can't escape. You can't, there's nothing you can do. So they're trying to monitor this so that if something they think is going to happen they can have people evacuate but it's not an exact science so if you want to know more i really encourage you to look at the washington state department of national resources website it is super rad and it has all those maps of like where the lava is going to flow and you can see like if you live in those areas and it also lets you sign up for alerts and you can um learn like how to be prepared are you okay it's important are you okay i'm never okay talking about the earthquakes you seemed a little not okay no i'm way better i'm gonna i'm gonna maybe i'll do that for my next topic i 100 had like diagnosable ptsd from my earthquake experience so maybe I'll, i'll go into like the san andreas fault and then talk about the 1990 quake or maybe she quick. won't because sometimes that happens too. And that's okay. Whatever you want. Maybe to I do. won't be in the mood maybe, next week. Maybe not. Maybe sometimes a howling wind comes by and grasps your attention. That's right. If you haven't listened to our last podcast, we talked about this is always a big memory Damn test. <laughs> okay, hold on. For us. What did Give we talk about? What did I talk about? I honestly no. can't remember either. <laughs> okay, hold on. It was only a week ago. Um we can we can remember. I talked about 
I talked about... You had a serial killer. Yes, 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 yes. Pedro I... Lopez. Pedro Lopez. Monster of the Andes. Yes. Now, what did I talk about? I helped you. Help me. You went first and you talked about... Oh, it was um, it was not about a person. It was about... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Why? So rude. Okay, I'm thinking. Let me pull up my spreadsheet. Um... While I'm pulling up the spreadsheet, because we have absolutely oh. zero short-term oh. memory. Oh, my gosh. It's like right there. Um, something about you still don't know. It's like right there. I see it. <laughs> what do you see? I see it. In the meantime, consider being it's our hot bean patron. It's not about harming. It's only animals. a dollar. It's not harming animals. It's about, oh, why you shouldn't why keep you should... wild animals? Yes, thank you. See my yes, you did it. <laughs> Focusing on the horrible yes. Travis the Tramp, chimp, not Tramp, <laughs> shrimp. Travis, the horrible the, shrimp that ate the face off the lake. <laughs> horrible incident of Travis the chimp mm. that um disfigured uh Charlinash. Yes. But be our Podbean patron if you want to get to know us more personally. We're doing a pre-funk every episode, and mm -hmm. so it's only a dollar. Yeah. Come on, people. All I mean, right. star a Starbucks now is like six dollars. Yes. Yeah. And if you think we're just getting so many patrons that we don't need you, you're wrong. We're, you're wrong. We can't buy the Starbucks yet. <laughs> no, we're hoping to at least make enough money that it pays for our Starbucks. We are not there. We're not there. By far. Well, until next time. Pack your go bag. And listen to the sounds of silence.